Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Yeah, so open up to John chapter 5. And uh, if you don't have your own Bible, please take this one and make it yours. Write your name in it so that no one takes it. So we've been going through a series called Come and See, which is um, what we talked about, the, the way that Jesus is, at Jesus' time, a student of Jesus or a disciple or an apprentice would walk behind their teacher and watch everything they did. And so what we are looking at is we're watching Jesus, we're walking really close to him, we're looking at the word of God, we're trying to really watch how he interacts with people. And um, what we're going to see here is that Jesus asks a lot of questions. Now we're going to see this here in John chapter 5, um, he, he, inter- he interacts with this one man, a sick man, a man that wants to get better, a man that can't walk, and so Jesus walks up to this man that cannot walk. And says, do you want to get well? Kind of a ridiculous question, isn't it? Like, when I was sick, well, when I was really, really sick, if someone asked me that question, I'd be like, why are you asking such a dumb question? And Jesus seems to ask a lot of dumb questions if you think he's asking questions the way we ask questions. So when he asked the question, do you want to get well, he's not really asking for us to answer that for him. He knows the answer. He's asking the question because we need to ask that question to ourselves. And we're going to take our time and look at this particular situation, but of course we're going to look at it in the larger scope of us as a people having, are we answering these questions, and on an individual basis, are we asking these questions? It's much like when I was studying this and really thinking about the times that God's asked me questions, I I kept thinking about this old show. It's called um, Let's Make a Deal. And so there's a certain age gap where you have no idea what I'm talking about. So here, who here knows who I'm talking about when I say Monty Hall? Wow. Okay, who has no clue who Monty Hall is? Yeah, Noah, Okay, so we, we know where the line's being drawn right there, okay? So I, I looked at old clips, and the problem with Monty Hall is that the clips back then is the 70s, early 70s, and so it's all fuzzy, and it wouldn't look really well. So they, I just found out, I didn't know this, they have a new version of the show, and it's on now. And Drew Carey had one of his comedians, I can't remember his name, probably the funniest guy on that show, and he now heads up this show. And in it, basically Monty Hall, or this new guy, I think his name's Chris, they come up and they'll ask a question. You know, you have something and they'll ask a question going, but do you want this? And they have to make a decision. And so I'm going to show you a little brief clip here of uh, the, the new Let's Make a Deal. He wants that deal. He wants the big deal. $23,800. He gave luxury ski vacation to Vermont. $9,979. You guys could have gone skiing. But now he has the opportunity to trade that for something else. Ready to go? What made you give it up? We have our honeymoon in June after we get married, Wayne. June what? June 14th. June 14th. That's a good month. That's a good month. That's my birthday month, so it's a great month. (laughs) Well, hopefully, you could get the big deal of the day. 
take her on an amazing vacation and have whatever the big deal of the day is as your wedding gift. All you have to do is pick the correct door. It could be door one, door two, or door three. What's your door? I gotta go with my princess, Wayne. I'm going with door number one. Door one. Okay, Tiffany, show us what's behind door number three. It was a spa trip to Utah. Okay. He would have spent six nights at the Red Mountain Resort, nestled in the high desert red rock bluffs of southwestern Utah. This destination retreat offers unique outdoor adventures, a deluxe spa, and more. Round trip airfare, these Louis Vuitton travel bags and sunglasses were also included in this deal worth $7,906. Oh! Those Louis Vuitton bags, I saw her eyes just widen. She said, no, they didn't. All right, we're gonna show you what's behind door two. Are you ready? Yes, sir. What's behind two? You could have won a new home gym. You know what that means? That's good. No, what does it mean? I got the big deal. Yes. I got the big deal. This deal's worth $2,460. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Maurice. <laughs> Tiffany, what's behind door number one? It's a Hyundai Tucson. Drive in style with this Hyundai Tucson GLS featuring an automatic transmission, double overhead cam engine with a multi-core fuel injection, and four-wheel independent suspension. This big deal's worth $23,800. Congratulations! We just gave away the... Bet you didn't know you were going to see that today, did you? <laughs> I debated, should I show it, should I not? And the reason I went with, in fact, I, I, I debated right up until, this, until five seconds before I said something about Monty Hall. But I decided to go with it because, and we can take that off because everyone's just going to stare at that TV because <laughs> they really want the car, is because when Jesus asks you a question, and I'm telling you, when God talks, most of the time he talks to us in questions. We'll get to that here in a second. But when he asks those questions, you already have something, but he's offering you something better. There's something, God is always wanting to move us. We need to know that. This is a gathering of people. The church is a gathering of people that are saying, I'm willing to be moved. Because unless we're willing to be moved, God can't work. We're saying we're willing to be changed. And the thing is, the thing about Jesus is he always asks questions. And I'm not just saying that for emphasis. If you look at the New Testament, when Jesus is interacting, he, he asks over 300 questions. Think about that. Over 300 times, he's asking questions to people. Now, you think of it, you're like, well, Jesus is always talking. He's, giving, he's teaching, as in he's giving these long dialogues. But he's not. He's asking questions. And about 170 times, he's asked questions. And you know what he did right back? Responds with a question. So people ask him a question, and he'll respond with another question. In fact, only three times does he directly, directly answer a question out of those 170 times. And of course, at that time, um, it was a common teaching practice to ask questions, right? You know, the, the Socratic method. Um, and then there's a, it's, it's 
basically a Jewish thing to ask questions. So one of the things they say is, why do, why do Jews ask so many questions? And then the Jew responds, well, why shouldn't we ask more questions? Like it's, it's like it's part of their culture to ask questions. Yet, and I just realized this the other day, I was, I was paddling here on uh, Friday with my friend and I was, we, were, he, we were going through this message, going through the sermon, talking about Jesus and how many times he asked questions. And as we're going around, I, I was sharing what I'm about to share with you and I realized the very first time that I've heard God speak to me, and I don't hear it that often. So like you see pastors or people and you're like, oh, I bet God just talks to them all the time. And No, it doesn't work that way. But there, are, there have been a few times in my life where I've heard God's voice. And the very first time I heard it, I just realized this when I was with my friend. Oh, it was a question. I'd never realized that before. But the first time I heard God's voice was him asking me a question. And I shared this a few years ago. Um, but I was in college and I was a freshman. And what we have is we have these things called the first week activities. And it's the way for all the freshmen to kind of get to know each other. So they just have all these activities. They have like a, a roller skating night. Of course, none of us roller skated because, I mean, well, we just didn't roller skate. Our generation, we missed that one. So we're all going on this roller skate thing. And then they, had a, um, they didn't have any dances because the school I went to didn't let you dance back then. Now they do. But at that time, they didn't. Um, we had all these parties. We had this, uh, they had this thing called the scam boat. That tells you how old I am. Because when you used to uh, try to uh, pick up on girls or girls talk to guys, they call it scamming. So they called the boat, the, boat the, the scam boat. So we'd go out in the harbor in San Diego and go around. So, so we did all these activities. And I had just decided to follow Jesus. I had just made that decision. And I said, now that I'm going to college, I'm going to live differently. I'm going I'm to, Jesus said, Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I am going to love my neighbor. I'm going to give myself away to care for. So these first week activities, I'm trying to serve people around me. I'm looking out for their interests above my own. And I'm sincerely doing this. Um, yet, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, in high school, um, I had a lot of friends, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I do this thing, God's going to reward me, and my college experience is going to be awesome. In fact, these people that I'm going to meet, we're going to have barbecues together. I'm probably going to meet my wife here. My best man's going to be here. We're all going to live on the same street. This is where it's all going down. And if I love God and love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to get what I want. I'm making a deal, and this is how it's going to work, and I'm going to get the big deal. It's going to be for me. So that's how I thought. That's how my brain was thinking at that time. And so it got to Friday, and that was scam boat night. And so I'm hanging out with some friends, and, and I really didn't have a desire to meet all these girls. I had a girlfriend at the time. But yet all the dudes I were with, that's all they could think about. So I'm like trying to serve the interest and trying to care for people. Basically nobody cared. They were all just laser focused that entire week on themselves. And so, you know, I'm stuck on that boat, miserable. The boat comes in. I get to my car, drop my friends off, and I go up into my room, and I'm on the top bunk. We have, there's a four beds, you know, two bunk beds on either side. They show four of us in one room. And I beat everybody back, and I go up to the top of the bunk, and I just start crying. Of course, I got to go there and cry because I can't let anybody else see me cry because I don't want to lose points. So I go up there, and I'm just miserable. I'm like, God, you ripped me off. 
Like, I thought we had a deal here. I thought the way it was going to work was I was going to do this, and I was going to do this, and I was going to get this. Now, I'm talking to you in hindsight. I'm talking to you now that I can see a lot more clearly what was happening. The reason I can see more clearly is because of the question God asked. Because at that time, I just knew I was miserable and things weren't working out. I didn't quite understand what was happening. I didn't quite understand what I really wanted that I wasn't getting. I just knew I was miserable and it didn't work out right. And this was the first time I heard God's voice. He said, are you trying to make people happy or me? And I'm up in my bed, and it's not an audible voice, but it's this voice inside of me. But I know when I'm talking to myself. You know you know when you're talking to yourself? But yet there was this voice that wasn't mine. And part of the reason now, look, looking back, I could tell it wasn't mine because it was asking a question. Do you ever ask yourself questions when you're talking to yourself? Probably not. And so this question came in, and I was like, am I? well, I knew the answer right away. Because when God asks you a question, you know the answer. It's not like, oh, go research it. It's like he's asking you the question. You know it, but you've got to face the question. And the reality was I was doing that to please other people. I was doing these things to make them happy because then I thought I would get something back for it. But God's question was very simple. Are you trying to please man or me? Because it's a commandment from God, and when we do it, we do it because we want to please the Lord. And my tears dried up right away because when you hear the voice of God, like, you're like, whoa, nothing else seems to matter when you know it's his voice, when you have that confidence. And so I just kind of froze, but with joy. Who cares about everything? That God just spoke to me. Woohoo! It's on! And now I have to deal with that question. God is going to ask us questions. Jesus, when he interacts with people, asks questions. But why? We want answers. We want answers because if we get answers, it's like, it's like Batman and his utility belt. It's like if we get answers, then we can just put them in there and we can use those. It's like this tool. It's like this weapon that we can use when we get answers. And a lot of people will approach their faith that way. I don't know enough. I'm not far enough along. We use those terms. What does that mean? There's a lot of new believers that I'm interacting with and they'll say, you know, I want to get farther along. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm watching you. Because it's not a matter of this, like, journey where it's all going uphill. And, hey, I'm farther along. Catch up. It doesn't work that way. It's this constant state of are we willing to change? Are we willing to listen to God and let him work in us? But instead, we try to take the Bible. We try to take Jesus' stuff. Well, what can I get to put in my belt so I can use it for other people? But when God asks you questions, we're the ones that have to change. Here's a quote that I love um, from a guy named Richard Rohr. Uh, And this is what he says. He says, answers, because he's asked the question, why why does Jesus deal more with questions than just providing answers? And he says, answers give us more of a feeling of success and closure. Easy answers instead of hard questions allow us to try to change others. Instead of allowing God to change us. We've talked about this quite often here. When Jesus and Paul and basically the entire New Testament says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent means to change, to be willing to be changed. It doesn't mean to feel sorry about what you did. It doesn't mean to have remorse. That's not what repent means. Repent means to change. 
And it's not a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. It's a constant element of us. When we just try to provide answers, or we just try to grab answers to put them in our utility belt, it's much like, well, I'll ask you a question. Who here has had a very enjoyable political talk in the past two weeks? Anyone? (laughs) Raise your hand if you've gone, this was a very enjoyable political discussion with someone. He and I, or she and I, we sat together, oh, it was great. Anyone? You did? Congratulations. You're the only one. You win. So... If it's going to be a good one, this is probably what happened. You had two people that were actually listening to each other. I have a good friend of mine. I don't talk to anybody about politics because it's so unenjoyable and so fruitless. But I have a friend that I knew I could come to and say, you know what, what do you think about this? Because I knew he would sit and think about it. I'd go, well, what do I? What should I think? And then he was, I mean, it was like a discussion. I'm like, I don't know. Forget the top two people. I'm just in general, like trying to have those discussions. Christians, and this is something, we'll we'll deal with this a little bit. We're not going to have a political Sunday, that's for sure. Um, But we are going to talk about how to address this. And I'm embarrassed by the way so many of us are acting because we're not listening. We're just busting out answers. We're pulling up stuff that we heard on the radio or in the newspaper, and we're pulling this stuff out and firing it away, and we're just firing and firing. And then the other person's waiting for that person to stop. They're dodging, and then they're going to pull their stuff. It's just a complete waste of time. And in a lot of ways... That's how we could do with our faith. We just want to gather this stuff, gather this stuff, and then we lock in. I remember, I don't know why this lady's coming up in my mind, but Mrs. Hartman. Sorry if anyone's here, his last name is Hartman. Um, but it, I was a kid, and it was this old lady, and she lived next door to us, and her way was the right way, and that was the only way it was. And so we kids playing with a soccer ball or the baseball or whatever, and any ball that was inflated that would go into her yard, she would waddle out, grab it, boom, pop it, and run back in. And I was what is the deal with old people? And I'm noticing that pattern, and I'm noticing that pattern in myself that I'm now becoming the crotchety old guy, a little bit more every year. And why? Because we get stuck in our ways. And we've been doing it so long, we, no. If you're 95, Grandma Miller, this is my grandma, Grandma Miller, up here in the front. Grandma Miller, you need to be willing to change. (laughs) Doesn't matter how old you are, you are going to be wiser, but we're not wise enough. And part of walking with God is being willing to always be changed. Kyle Reynolds, happy birthday. You guys know that back, that's Kyle's birthday. Kyle, hold your hand up. Be willing to change. I don't care how old you feel today, how much wiser you feel than back when you were in high school. We have to be willing to change. And Jesus, the Spirit of God, is going to continue to ask us questions because we need to face things because it's going to move us. It's going to move us to change. This man, in John chapter 5, if you could go there, go to John chapter 5, you can start in verse 1. There is a man that has been standing next to this pool called the Pool of Bethsaida. Bethsaida, whenever you see bet in front of a word in Hebrew, it means the house. And it's the house of mercy or the house of grace. And it's right up here on the Temple Mount. And um, I've been there where the ruins are. And there's a, a, it's just a pool, literally like a big pool. And there was a tradition 
or it could be a fact, we're not quite sure. In fact, if you look in your Bibles right now, how many of you, John 5, 4, how many of you, verse 4 is missing? Yeah, say that, open up your Bibles. So this, is, this is me getting you open up your Bible. So verse 4 is missing. If you have the King James Version, verse 4 is there. And what it says in verse 4 is it says that an angel would come and stir the waters. Well, the reason it's not there is because um, the Bible, we're always trying to make sure it's as accurate as can be. And so we found transcripts, um, manuscripts that are older, and they don't have that. So we believe that someone put that in later to try to say, hey, look, there was this tradition of an angel coming to stir the water, and whoever got in first would be healed. But they left it out because they found earlier manuscripts that didn't have that, and they wanted to be as accurate as possible to what John wrote. And so if you have a, uh, like, if you have this Bible, one right here that's passed out, you'll see a little notation there, and it'll say the number four, and if you go to the bottom, it'll have that verse so that you know early manuscripts didn't have this. But there was this tradition to some degree, which is why someone added it, that said and in this pool there was a, an angel would stir it, and then the first one that jumped in would get healed, and all the slow people would not. Not fair, is it? But that's what they believed. So Jesus is coming by this pool. He's got his disciples, and he sees this man, this one man. There's other people there. I don't know why God chose this man. So Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes to this one man and asks him, and this is a man who's sick, who cannot walk, and he says, do you want to get well? Now, again, Jesus knows the answer to the question. But he asks the man, do you want to get well? And the man's response is, well, yeah, but I'm too slow, and someone always beats me in. That's not a cop-out. He's actually trying. Every day, he comes to this pool. Hey, guys, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, Frank? Hey, what's up, Stacey? He's coming and hanging out all the time. Can we go to the slide that, um, that has, I think it's verse 7, where he responds? And so he's trying to get into this pool. But someone always beats him there. So when Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well, what kind of question is he asking this man to answer? Because when you think about it, to get well, everything's going to change for this guy. He's been in this condition for 38 years. Many of you have had to deal with either a physical ailment or an emotional ailment or a relational ailment of a mental ailment of some kind for a period of time. And you have to learn to adapt, right? Um, you know, I've got my current ailments, and so I've had to learn to adapt. Okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Uh, so this man has come up with a whole system, how he gets food, how he gets to the pool, where he lives. He has a whole system in place. So when Jesus asked, do you want to get well? If this man were to get well everything is going to change. Is he going to go back to the pool? There's really no reason to go back to the pool. Money-wise, at that time, if you're disabled, when you ask for alms or when you ask for something, it's required of others who are able-bodied to provide it. He can't do that anymore. He's going to have to go get a job. He spent 38 years being in this condition. I mean, we talk often about it. Someone gets to the age of 50, how do you get a new job? How do you start a new life? This man, at the age of whatever he's at, probably close to 50, if not, he's at least 38, 
he is going to have to start a new life. Do you really want to get well? Think about all the things that you want. Think about all the things that you would like to, to have changed. But if they actually change, do you want it? One of the big ones that you always hear is, if I could only make a little bit more money. I could hear God asking us the question, do you really want to make more money? And we're thinking, what a dumb question. Yeah. Do you really want to win the lottery? Jesus, I thought you were like divine. Of course I want to win the lottery. Do you know anyone that's won the lottery that's happy? In fact, I've, I've looked at my own income from when I graduated from high school. Okay, let's say college. That's when I really started keeping a budget. Not that I ever stuck to it, but I wrote things down. And then you have your little budget, and you look, and in general, it's gone up. And yet, there always seems to be financial problems. Emotionally, you know what? I'd really like to have a great relationship with my dad. Do you really want a good relationship with your dad? Because then you're going to have to hang out with your dad. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to spend time with him? Because it's not like he's going to radically change. Your relationship might get better, but all those idiosyncrasies, they're going to still be there. I wish that my spouse would do this. We have all these questions and all these things that we're like, don't you know the answer? Of course. But that will necessitate change. One of the common things that happens, I just wish that my spouse would stop this addiction. But yet your whole relationship is based on this addiction. And I won't get into the, the dynamics of that, but once they change, then you have to change. Because now you have a different relationship. Let me go through a couple of the questions that God's asked. One of the questions, he asked Adam and Eve this question. Where are you? Right? So they took the apple, they ate the apple, um, and then they run. They're like, oh my gosh, and they run out naked. They're like, we're naked. So they start putting on leaves, and the Spirit of God is coming through the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, are they really that good at hide and seek that God can't find them? So the question is not that he needs them. Oh, we're over here. Okay, good. I didn't see you. You're right behind the tree. I couldn't see. No. The question was for them. Do you realize where you are? Where are you? And if they'd stop to think of where they are, they'd realize they're far from God. The point was is that they went off on their own. They didn't trust God. They went in their own direction. Do you know where you are? The question is not for God. The question is for them. Think of God asking you that question. Where are you? Do you know where you're at? That's a pretty deep question. Sometimes it's a very simple question. I'm really far away. Sometimes it's, I'm a mess. Or I don't know where I'm at. And yet, in all of these questions, you will be able to answer them. When God asks you a question, you can answer it. And a lot of these questions, I want us to look at. And we're going to look at them right now. I'm going to close with these questions. Because it's hard for me to figure out what question God's asking you. But these are questions, some of the questions that Jesus asked in the New Testament. For example, he asked the question, why are you afraid? Now, it was fairly obvious to these people. Why are you, what do you mean, why am I afraid? Do you really want to, answer, to have that question asked to you? We all have different fears. But when that question is asked to you, you've got to look at it. And when you look at it, it's going to necessitate change. And it doesn't mean just, oh, don't be afraid anymore. It's not, why are you afraid? To face that fear. Another question that he asked um, to Peter was, do you love me? 
And he didn't just ask it one time, he asked it three times in a row to the point where Peter's like, why do you, he got sad. Like, why do you keep asking me this question? Well, think about it, Peter. So the question for us is, do we love the Lord? It's one of those questions we throw out, I love the Lord, or maybe you don't ever say it, but do you? Because he's asking the question. What do you want me to do for you? He's asked that question several times. Jesus asked several people that question. What do you want me to do for you? And you can easily think, oh, it's like a genie in a bottle. Woohoo! Yeah, I wish I had a genie. I wish I had the Jesus genie. But that's not what he's doing here. What do you really want? And then to Paul, he asks this question, why do you persecute me? Paul's going around thinking he's doing the right thing. What you do, you think is the right thing, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. Sometimes you're doing it justly. Talk about these political talks. The person that's having this one discussion against the person that's over here versus the person that's over here versus the person over there, they all think they're correct. We always assume the other person's evil and we're right. That person thinks you're wrong and they're right. It's this crazy cycle. And that's what Paul thought. Paul was persecuting people that were following Jesus because he thought he was serving God. There are times when we think we are serving God when we are actually against him. We need to ask this question, am I persecuting God? Am I in the way of what he's doing? You see what happens here, right? There's this, we have to live in this sense of humility because if we're going to be willing to be asked questions, it defines us as people of humility. If we're willing to change, that means we're humble. When the word of God says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. That means we're moldable. So to be people of God, we have to be moldable because we're going to be asked questions. And when we're asked these questions, that's going to necessitate change. Paul, as we know, Paul the apostle had a radical change. This is one of my favorite questions that Jesus asks. This woman comes in, she washes his feet, and the other people are there going, that woman's a, a woman of ill repute. So whatever you think a woman of ill repute is or a man of ill repute, these people thought that. And in this situation, he says, do you see this woman? Kind of a dumb question. Yeah, she's right there. That's not the question he's asking, is it? Do you see her? No, they don't. They saw her behavior. They saw what they um, categorized her as. They, they stereotyped her, but they don't see her. That's a question we can always ask ourselves. Do I... Think of the person that irritates you the most right now. I know there's more than one, but think of just one and put them there. They don't even have to be your number one. Just the person at this point that irritates you. Why? Do you see that person? Not do you see them. Do you really see them? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know what their background is? It's, it's no mystery. I've, I've, I'm very open about it, even with him. My dad and I do not have the greatest relationship. And I was talking to my aunt on the phone, and she told me something I never knew before, that my grandfather was, and I knew he was in war. I didn't know he was in three wars. It's like, what? Why did nobody ever tell me this? In three wars. And in all three wars, he was shot down. How do you do that? But in that, 
when you're shot down, when you, I mean, talk about PTSD. He had one point where he came back in a full body cast where it was just like his little, his mouth and his eye, no, actually she didn't even say that. She said there were no, nothing, they didn't have the eyes open. I'm not sure why. Mouth and a hole in the back so he could go to the bathroom. Talk about the trauma. My dad's the oldest. So she didn't have to explain it to me. I'm like, that must have really sucked for my dad. His dad comes back in this condition all these different times, and he has to deal with that. His dad most likely being absent or grouchy. I mean, when you're in pain, you're not very much fun to be around usually. My dad had to deal with that. So when I'm thinking about my situation with my dad, do I really see him? Do you see her? Do you see him? These are powerful questions. Does no one else condemn you? Jesus is sitting there with this adulterous woman, and he asks her, hey, I told everyone to drop the stones if they hadn't sinned, and so do any of them condemn you anymore? And she looks around, no. She's got to deal with that situation. Wow, no one's condemning me. What, how does that feel? They've all changed to the point where he's asked them a question. Have any of you sinned? If any of you have not sinned, throw the first stone, which is a question. If you haven't sinned, have you sinned? And they're like, yeah, we all have. So they walk away because they're realizing their situation. And then she, he asks her, does no one condemn you? Again, another question. So I ask you this question. Has anyone condemned you? And the question isn't really, has someone condemned you, but does it matter? Have they not sinned? Think about the freeing, full, life-giving questions that Jesus asks us if we'll only be willing to face them. But this is what it ultimately comes down to, and this is my last words. Do we trust God? When I walk up there, if I ever get on this Let's Make a Deal show, I don't trust that guy. He's trying to entertain people. He's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's got a job to do. They want you to win the car, but they can't just give you the car. But it's a little trick. It's a trick. Should I keep this? Should I do that? There's a, there's a math question on whether, which door you should take. I won't take you through that one, but there's a tricky one on how you choose which door so you can make sure you have the best chance of winning. But ultimately, this comes down to trust. Do you trust that when God asks you that question that he has something better for you? When he asked me that question, are you now trying to please man or me? He's trying to help me to move closer to who he created me to be. And ultimately, by me trying to please other people, I was moving farther away from who I really was. And it was the most freeing, beautiful thing to know I don't have to please other people. And pleasing God's pretty easy. And that's what I want to do. And that moment changed the course of my life. When God spoke, he spoke to me at that time, at that place, because I needed for him to speak. And it changed the course of my life because I was moldable. If you want to brag about anything, brag that you're willing to change. And then God will move. Not because you bragged about it, but I'm saying if you're going to brag about something, that's something worthy of bragging about. Because God will do the rest of the work from there. And here's two other questions that he asks that I think are appropriate for trusting in him. A question that we need to ask. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And these are the questions. Do you believe I am able to do this? Do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? And the last question is, and these are literal questions from Jesus in the New Testament. What do you think 
about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? If you could stand with me, we're about to take communion. And the stations will be up front. You can come through the middle aisles, and then you can go out and around. If you want to bump into everybody else, you know we like that at this church, so you're welcome to come back up and be the salmon swimming against the stream. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Um, When you come up, typically in communion, this is what we do. Put our hands in front, we lower our head, and we look really sad. (laughs) This is a beautiful thing. This is something to be celebrated. That doesn't mean you have to smile, but come as you are. And we do this in remembrance of him. So Dustin and Courtney, can you guys come up to the front? We're going to have you guys both up front. Um, And so when you come up front, there's going to be bread. And if I remember right, all the bread, all the time is gluten-free from now on. (laughs) Not because we're really passionate about gluten-free stuff. Um, a lot of people are, some people aren't, but that's the main reason, is because we don't want anybody to be, can I have this? Because if I, I my, I'm in a bad, we don't want anyone to have to worry about taking communion, um, which is the same reason why we went with grape juice and not wine. We're like, oh, why isn't it wine? Jesus had wine. But some people have, have gone to a lot of hard work to stop drinking wine. And so for the benefit and love for everyone, we have gluten-free and we have juice. But the elements aren't what's important. We do this in remembrance of the one who gave his life for us, the one who asked the questions. Father, we do this in remembrance of you, and it's a mystery to us. But you loved us, and you died for us. And all of us who are in Christ believe in you. The old is passing, and the new is coming. We're changing. Lord, help us to be more moldable in your hands. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen.